morning. Each one of you. I think we can take a breath or two and look around at who's here. I was picturing maybe there would be 10 of us and we would just huddle up here in a little circle to try to keep warm and maybe put a little candle in the middle. Um, but look at us. Um, it's good to be together. It's good to be here. And missing a Sunday, I think, has deepened that desire to come together and to notice how it is to not be together on a Sunday and to go seven more days and to have that desire be deepened in us. So peace to each one of you and peace to us together as we gather. This season of Christmas and Advent, Epiphany, um, it, it feels like, see, it's still with us. See the tree? So it's lingering. And uh, we have experienced many gifts uh, in this season. It's been rich and overflowing. So just as Ron invited the children to use their imagination, we're going to do that a little bit today. Which Bible characters and stories, which scenes were moving for you, not only in your mind, but what hits you more in your stomach or in your spirit, in your heart, and it has continued to, to carry you? Um, have you noticed as you look back and take a moment now, where has Christ been forming in you? One of the songs that Stephen and Miley sang said, you know, Form us deep inside. If anyone wants to call out um, a character or a scene, I'll pause for a minute and or to give you time to think about that. But we are going to talk a little bit today about stories, and it is the baptism story. And didn't you love and really enjoy seeing the children experience that story and holding their little hands out and feeling the water and hearing the words. But stories come in all kinds, many shapes and forms. I have a confession to make. Sometimes I read the ending first. And some people tell me that's the wrong way to read a book. But I go back then into the middle and I don't always do this, but if the story really matters to me, then if I know the ending, I can go back in the middle and be present and um, be in the present moment for its own sake. And I've come to realize that God has done that in his big story, the big meta story. He put the ending at the beginning and in the middle, and it's scattered all through the story so that we're not overwhelmed when things get hard or if we forget. So really, he has authored his story with love wins all. 
And in the end, all tears will be wiped from every eye. So I think this is such a great encouragement to us. There's a quote by Eugene Peterson. He's the author of The Message and other books, and he's a pastor. But he told the story of one of his grandchildren crawling up on his lap and said, Tell me a troll story, Grandpa, and put me in the story. And Peterson used this to illustrate our desire to get into God's story. And that's what we're going to, just at least the invitation will be for us today. Yes, we will look and remember the story of Jesus' baptism, but how does it go a little further, and how does it become part of our story? How are we not only spectators, but how do we find ourselves in this story? Or maybe um, the more correct way is to say, how do we let God find us in this story? So this placing of ourselves in God's story is only possible if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. If he's not distant or uninvolved. If he's interested in our real lives. If he's close to us and desires to engage our intellect, memory, emotions, and will, those deepest parts of ourselves. So the scripture stories are the perfect place for us to place ourselves into because the same spirit loves to reveal who Jesus is and Jesus continues to make the Father known to us. He still convinces us of our primary identity. We are sons. We are daughters. To a heavenly Father that loves us so much. And we, the whole story changes because then we are brothers and sisters to each other. So God's story and our life story intersect and become more interconnected. Always more. We're on this journey. So um, I had a picture, an example just of, of a fun way. Uh, this last year I've been having a fun um, exercise of writing down some family history of our farm that is now 100 years old in 2017 for our family. And um, I'm just having fun with this because I'm putting us in the story. The grandchildren, especially. And I have Ron in the story. He's the adversary. Him and the squirrel, and this is based on true truth, him and the squirrel have an ongoing battle on our farm. And if Ron walks under the walnut tree, he drops walnuts on Ron's head. So, and, um, and so, of course, Ron has some ways that he retaliates. So anyways, but to the grandchildren, as I read it to him, I say, you are in the story, but Mr. Squirrel doesn't know or call you by name. So you have to watch and see, can you find yourself in this story? So that's a little bit what we're going to do today with the, with the baptism um, story. And I like the, the next picture because I thought of the baptism. I don't know if it, yeah, because I think it looks like maybe it's from Colombia and from South America, and I found it very, very beautiful. How did so many, uh, I was amazed at how many pictures there are of the baptism. 
So as all good stories do, they evoke other stories. They connect us to other larger stories. So one, I mean, just call it out if it has connected you when you think about Jesus being baptized. What other Old Testament story is, is brought to your memory? Any? Just call it out if it does. We could think, especially with the voice speaking, uh, creation story. This is kind of a new creation, isn't it? God speaking. It is very good. I'm pleased with this. One that it brought to me with the open uh, heaven was Jacob with the ladder to an open heaven. A new Elijah, a new Exodus. So I think... The people there would have been more connected than we are really to those Old Testament stories, and I think they would have made a lot of connections. But sometimes it has a connection with our story. This maybe brought back memories of your baptism. How old were you? Where did you get baptized, and why? And how did it happen, and what did it mean? What do you remember about it? So... Um, I was thinking, Avery, I don't know if you want to share, but I was remembering the last baptism in this church was Avery. And I just can still, as I remember it, what a special moment that was. And I, I don't think I'll ever forget that picture. Do you want to share something about what you remember? Do you remember it? How did it feel when you went completely under the water? Special? It was special to me. Thank you. So before we um, continue and look at the verses in a little more um, specific way, let's pause and pray. Hmm. Father, you are so gracious. Thank you for your story. Let it today in us become a living word. May it be more than information. Would you, Holy Spirit, meet with us, your beloved children, and speak to us. Reveal to us who you are and the thoughts and the feelings that you have for your son, Jesus Christ, and towards us, his brothers and sisters. Form in us the life of Christ. Amen. We read from Luke, but um, here's, um, it, it's kind of like looking at it from a little different angle in a different version. And so in this one, um, I like this part where um, Jesus appeared arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. He wanted John to baptize him. John objected, I'm the one who needs to be baptized, not you. But Jesus insisted, do it. God's work, putting things right all these centuries, is coming together right now in this baptism. So Jesus did it. And in, in this part, um, 
just gives a little bit different angle. And um, for today, I've, I've titled today's teaching on finding ourselves in God's story as daughters and as sons. And we're going to look at it through a few different angles from the angle of desires, belongingness, and responding. So in this uh, first part, a little bit on desires, I think um, it's such an important component of a story, and all good stories will hold the, the desire that's motivating, not just what happens, but why does it happen? So I love it here that Jesus said he wanted John to come, and he actually shows up and comes. And so, and, and then he has to kind of fight for it because John insisted, um, you baptize me, and, and the story could have changed. He's, okay, well, I'll do that. But no, he wasn't sidetracked, and he insists on it. I, um, here's my desire, and here's what I want to do. So this baptism becomes like his public ordination. He's 30 years old, and he's beginning his ministry. He chooses and has this deep desire that propels him forward to come and to identify with those that are responding to John's call for something brand new, like the new exodus. He's willing to respond to the Old Testament invitation to fulfill God's will through self-denying service to others and to suffer, even if it meant suffering on their behalf. So he could identify with that suffering servant that's found in Isaiah 42. So he comes with this deep desire. And I think it's just an invitation for us to pay attention to those desires that we have. And to not think of them as something foreign or distracting. Yes, they need to be discerned, and they need to be um, held and, and tested. But what if that is one way that God chooses to speak to us, actually, through our desires, the ones that remain, the ones that over time actually get stronger? And I think that that is part of our work as being characters in our story is to discern those desires and, and to treasure them and, and to be able to name them and to be able to actually move forward and insist on them in one sense and not get, not get sidetracked, not get distracted. Could we trust that our desires might be one way God would choose to speak to us, trying to get our attention indicating that in some way he wants to fulfill them. So it's a question you can take forward for you. What desires are you noticing in yourself? And to, and to especially hold those that seem deeper and, and ask God, if, is he speaking to you through this desire? So um, we'll look... At, at the next verses, and, um, you know, just that, that lovely thing of hearing God's voice. This is a very intimate um, part of the story, and we're invited in. It's kind of like being invited into someone's um, private living room, but it was also a public setting. 
very touching. The Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father are all fully present and all interacting. Each responds to the other. So all the characters in the story and even creation, everything is responding to, to each other. So there's confirmation, there's naming, empowering, and blessing. And what God calls Jesus to, he actually gives him the power and the energy to accomplish. And so I, I believe he does the same with us. Because of, um, because of how Jesus lived his life and died and was resurrected, we also have a calling on our life and a calling on our life as a church community. It's easy to forget this main calling to get distracted or live out lesser callings. There's a line from the poet Mary Oliver who actually uh, died this week at the age of 83 years old. And from the poem, The Summer Day, her last line is, tell me, what is your plan to do? What do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? So pause for a minute and let that kind of sink in. And I'll read it one more time. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life. And we are so blessed that Jesus chose uh, to live his life faithfully, with passion, with purpose, with intention, and chose to identify with us on the outside and he chose even to the point of suffering with us. So um, the next part is um, the second baptism picture. I like this because it makes it look a little more real. And um, I was thinking for the heavens to open, didn't it have to be a little dark and a little cloudy for, the, you know, for them to notice that the heaven opened? So in, in this part, I just want to talk about that, that deep desire that I think is so deep and foundational in every human being that sometimes we forget about it, but it's um, to belong, the, the need to belong to someone and, and, and others that are larger than ourselves. And so we see this in this baptism, this uh, decoration of love to Jesus that it comes at the time that was before his public ministry. It's before he's proved himself in that I've done all this um, good teaching. I, I haven't resisted those temptations yet. I haven't released my life to death or been resurrected. This is when God says, you are my son. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. And I think it, it's really... Um, important that we remember that, that God loves us because he loves us and because he is love. And it's more about who we are than about what we have done uh, first and foundational. Richard Rohr on Luke sets up this theme of belonging from the beginning. 
he says that in Luke, the genealogy is different than Matthew's. He's not so concerned about the historical accuracy as that of belongingness. And he uses the word son over 75 times. That's a lot in one book of the Bible. And he seems to be saying through the genealogy, you don't have to have perfect parents to be on this God journey. Isn't that freeing for us as children and as parents? We don't have to be perfect to be in the story and, and to have God uh, um, have us belong to something larger than our, ourselves. So for Jesus, baptism is a great breakthrough point. As he is standing there, it becomes evident to him who he is when he hears those words. And once Jesus can grasp this in his human mind, that he is the Son of God, he moves forward really uh, pretty quickly. And it's interesting that that's one of the first temptations, you know, that come to that. Are you really a son? If you're really a son, then do this. So this belongingness is literally a matter of life and death. It's been shown that an infant that is not received in love by her parents or his parents is wounded for life at a very deep level and may even physically die. They must bond with a parent or with someone in order to know whose and who they are. So there's a quote from Dallas Willard. Rejection, no matter how old one is, is a sword thrust through the soul that has literally killed many. Largely unbeknownst to itself, Western society is a culture of rejection. It seeps into our soul as a deadly enemy to spiritual formation in Christ. The human self requires rootedness with others, and most fundamentally with God. So this wound of rejection covers an entire age range. We have only to watch the news or read the newspaper, don't we? But from infants yet in the womb to teenagers to the elderly. I was surprised to see there's this whole category of the elderly that are vulnerable in our society. Rejection or neglect or abuse by their grown children or caretakers is a deep wound in today's world. Many different situations can contribute to this rejection. Workaholism, materialism, drug abuse, depression, mental illness, divorce, war, natural displacement, poverty, violence, collapse of profession, betrayal, and disloyalty. Those are just a few. And I think the good news for us and an invitation for us to not be spectators in this story, but to be active participants, is where a sword has been thrust in the tender souls of human beings comes an opening. And yes, it's an open wound, but that very opening brings an invitation for the church to pray, to speak, and to act generously on behalf of others. The healing word goes to an even deeper place in our hearts. 
that is already longing and desires to know and to remember the roots of who we are, to hear that we are love as beloved children no matter what. We need to experience that we belong. Uh, we need to experience that more. So how could this look? We receive God's truth, his word spoken to us, that we are blessed and whole. We need to agree with his truth about ourselves from his point of view because we may not feel very uh, loved or we may feel that God is actually displeased with us or disappointed in us. We must learn to regard ourselves and others as blessed, blessed children, blessed brothers and sisters, no matter what has happened. And this sets our identity deeper than the wounds and limitations we have received. This primary relationship needs to be cemented with Christ. And we are forever assured of this. And knowing this invites us to fully enter into our life now and to be courageous in living this out in our communities. And we can do much more together than we can separate. So a few questions, and, and um, we're going to pause. Where do you yourself need words of belonging? Where are you called to identify with those suffering left out, forgotten, and on the outside. I'm going to pause and ask God to show you specific faces or individuals or situations. Three, how could our our church store, how could our church be intentional about extending words and actions of belonging and of value. And I think it's just uh, um, so encouraging to pause and, and to remember where those have happened and to rejoice in those and to feel God's pleasure and smile over those. So... I guess, uh, you know, just be in prayer. Lord, let us be generous with our healing words and actions. And uh, I think even simple, even simple words make a difference. I, I put this up because this was kind of fun, and Ayana gave me permission to do this. But two weeks ago in church here, I was sitting by her, and at the end she slipped me this little note that she had written uh, on her, on the bulletin. And I thought, wow, this is really special. You are the best. <laughs> isn't it lovely to be generous and how even a few words, this isn't very many different words, but how um, I've kept it. And, uh, you know, because sometimes we forget that we're loved, don't we, and that we matter. So... 
responding to God's voice to you. Um, in May, we went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, for a Mennonite Spiritual Directors Convention. I was so excited because along with other things, a favorite author, Richard Rohr, was going to speak. And if you've noticed, I've um, quoted from him a couple times or referenced him. I had first read his book on the Enneagram maybe 10 years ago. So a highlight in those first couple days was I just got to go to the bookstore and, you know, uh, be there where he had been. But then uh, reading his books and going to his bookstore was one thing, but that did not compare with hearing him speak the next day at the conference. Or, this was the big, uh, the big deal, um, meeting him personally at our breakfast table. We had our heads down, our table had already started eating, and I heard a voice say, may I sit and have breakfast with, with your table? And looking up, there was the author. <laughs> so I think it's like that with us in our God stories. It's different to just know about God or read about other people's accounts. Where can we meet him for ourselves? Now I know what his voice sounds like. Before I just, you know, knew the written word. But now um, to, to know his voice and to sit and have breakfast together, I have more of a relationship with him. And I think it's, that's what God's inviting us into as sons and daughters because he freely poured out his love uh, towards Jesus. And Jesus freely shares this love with us. And so does the Father. And the Holy Spirit joins in this work. So we have a whole family to help us hear God's voice speaking to us today and convince us that it's really true that we are also the beloved and that we can get to meet and to know better the author. So we're just going to pause as we close. And you, you, if it helps you, you can um, open your hands. I think sometimes that's a way to open your heart to receive. And I'm just going to slowly read these words again. And you can just see what does it feel like to just be the son or daughter and to receive those words for you. You are my son. You are my daughter. The beloved. With you, with you, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. So we say, Heavenly Father, we say thank you for who you are, that you love us with a perfect, fierce, unending love that will never let us go. Help us, Holy Spirit, to go forward as sons, as daughters, and live boldly our one precious life. May we remember to encourage one another and remind each other of this reality. Let your kingdom come on earth and in us as it is in heaven. Amen.
So as it's time for the response song, which is going to be um, Baby Son, um, we're going to, um, while the song is playing, um, we've placed two bowls of fresh water up here. I'm trusting that the water hasn't leaked out. I can still see some water there. And while the song is playing, I invite you to come up and to just dip your hand into the water and gently rub it on your forehead or on your hand, uh, maybe on your throat, and feel the freshness of the water, the coolness of it. And let the water in the words of daughterhood, sonship, soak to a deep place in you and let yourself just receive his great love for you. So, um, yes, there's two bowls of water there. <clears throat> 